Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. It's good to be in church today. Um, man, what a powerful worship set with uh, Trent and Mary and Brian, huh? You're so blessed. Um, let's get right into the text this morning. I want you to invite you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter six. We're continuing in our series, "The New Way to Be Human," which is a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to have this to say to us today. He says, "When you fast," this is uh, Matthew six, beginning in verse sixteen. When you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This passage comes, like I said, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially Jesus' stump speech. This is Jesus' kind of his inaugural address, you might say, of the kingdom. It talks about a whole new way of being human, which we've been working through this Sermon on the Mount within the past few months. And I think there's kind of four things, as you can see from the highlighted words, that we should say about this passage right off the bat that are going to kind of help us things to be asking as we understand it and see how it fits into the faith, um, uh, the practice of our faith in powerful ways. First, we have to ask, what is fasting? Then Jesus seems to be telling us not to fast like the hypocrites. So we want to understand why that's important. And ultimately, Jesus seems to be saying that the point of fasting is to be between you and your Father. So that we need to talk about your Father. And then lastly, we want to be thinking about this reward this reward that Jesus promises us. We're not going to answer those questions systematically, but I hope that the four of those kind of questions that are going to be stirring throughout your mind this morning, that they'll develop for you as we work through today's material. So for the most part, the Sermon on the Mount, up until this point, has largely been about things uh, which most folks can relate. Jesus has has drawn attention to the needs of the people and the Beatitudes. He's, he, he's talked about anger. He's talked about lust and objectifying others. He's talked about integrity of word, telling the truth. He's talked about retaliation, how to treat enemies, and how to give to the poor, and then last week, how to pray. Which each, with each of these topics, I believe that Jesus is calling us to a new way of doing life, or what we might say a, a new way of being human, if you will. But I'll also admit to a familiarity with them that is common even in the secular world. I mean, for instance, I don't think I'd have to convince anyone on the street that that anger affects our day-to-day life. Even prayer is generally known to exist. It's generally known to be a thing by most folks, even those who don't have a prayer life. But this passage, this passage we come across this morning it's perhaps less of a given. 
In a way, it is the most countercultural thing that Jesus has mentioned thus far. And it may also be the thing that we are least familiar with. It's possible that when you heard the word fast, you may have thought, ah, that's for the super religious. That's for the monks and the nuns and the convents, and it's not really necessary. It's not really a necessary part of like 21st century faith, right? And that being said, it, it might jolt you a little bit that Jesus' first words in the passage aren't, hey, you know, some of you might feel like fasting if you want to. He, he doesn't say if you fast. He, he says when you fast. Um, just like he said when you give to the needy. Just like he said when you pray. The implication is that giving to the poor and praying and now fasting are practices that a follower of Jesus would participate in. The challenge from Jesus is that like giving to the poor and like praying, we must be careful that our fasting is rooted in our relationship with Christ rather than rooted in a show that we're putting on for others. The the actual term hypocrite in the passage actually is a theatrical term uh, that, that one who might put on a show, one who might be an actor, one who might put on a, a mask. But we can't get ahead of ourselves because we really haven't discussed what fasting actually is. And I know that Jen talked a little bit about this today. Right now I'm basically going to be repeating what Jen said, which is good. You know, sometimes preaching is like you just you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. So that's fine. So what is fasting? Fasting is an intentional pause of a legitimately good thing for the purpose of temporary, intense, spiritual reflection. Let's say that again. Fasting is the intentional pause of a legitimately good thing. We don't typically fast from, like, things we shouldn't be doing anyway. Like, you don't fast from, like, I don't know, I usually yell at people on the street, so I'm going to not do that for a month. No, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. Anyway, fasting is an intentionally pause of a legitimately good thing for the purposes of a temporary, intense spiritual reflection. Like most spiritual disciplines, there are typical ways of fasting, and then there's also kind of like special types of fast. Um, It's important that we talk about both modes. In terms of biblical and historical traditions, Fasting has probably most often looked like abstaining from food, but not water, for a short period of time, probably a day or two. That's typically what fasting has looked like, but it's, that's not always the case. Some choose to fast for longer periods of time. Some choose to fast for only a meal at a time. Some choose to fast, uh, some, some choose to abstain from all food. Others have chosen to abstain from only certain foods. Uh, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, for instance, Daniel and his friends go on a 10-day fast from everything except vegetables. So if we go back to our working definition of fasting, though, we'll see that it doesn't specify that food is always going to be the thing that we abstain from. Like Jen said, many in our day have seen wisdom and fasting from media, fasting from music, fasting from technology, fasting from your smartphone. Some might choose to live without air conditioning for a few days or, or maybe another modern convenience. 
Ultimately, the most important thing that we can say about fasting is that it flows from your relationship with Christ. And therefore, we won't want to offer any kind of strict guidelines as to what that fast is going to look like for you. That being said, I do want to say one thing right off the bat, that it's important to remember that fasting is not about mortification. Hear me clearly on this. Uh, Fasting is not about hurting yourself for God. God does not want you to hurt yourself. He loves you far too much for that. You are precious in his sight, and when he calls you to a fast, it's always about drawing you closer to understanding his love better. And to return to food for a, fast, uh, for, for a moment, fasting also, it's not about dieting. There are some diets that advocate going without food for a period of time for health reasons. Um, see a doctor about whether or not that's right for you. That's, that's not the spiritual discipline of fasting. Remember the, the definition, the purpose of fasting is to place a temporary pause on a legitimately good thing for the purpose of spiritual reflection. So some might immediately start thinking of things that they'd like to cut out of their life and then use that as a thing to like fast from. And I don't want to get too bogged down to details, but it's important to say that most often we do fast from good things, things that God wants us to take joy in. The reason why this is important is because fasting is always, at least in part, about the feast. Let me say that again. Fasting is always at least in part about the feast or it's pointing towards the feast. We fast now of a good thing in order to make sure that our hearts are aligned with Christ and focused on the true source of the feast of our generous God's love. In that light, we should also practice the discipline of feasting. Occasionally, as we gear up for Thanksgiving, it's right and good for us to gather around a table with friends and family and just have a massive feast, praying together, laughing together, anticipating the feast of new creation that we will partake in during the consummation of all things. We're going to have, as we mentioned before, we're going to have this Thanksgiving meal with the UMBC International students this Thursday, and I'm, I'm scheduled to give a, a short talk to the crowds and one of the things that's been on my mind um, is, is that we could be, uh, it could be said that Christians are people of the first Thanksgiving, which did not happen in 1621 in the Plymouth Colony. We could say that the first Thanksgiving was the meal that Jesus instituted with his followers, the Eucharist. When we broke bread, when he broke bread and poured wine and told his disciples to do this meal, to have this feast in remembrance of him, to remind them of the, of the body broken and the, and the blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, to remind them of this new covenant feast. Christians are people of that feast, which means at times we should feast. And at other times, we need to purposefully withhold a temporary meal or two, in order to focus, like Jen said, on the eternal feast of God's kingdom at hand. Turn back to Matthew uh, chapter 4. This is after Jesus' baptism. Jesus was led up by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these... That was my John Wayne. (laughs) Anyway, if you are the Son of God... If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember that Jesus was both fully God and fully man without division, change, confusion, or separation. Wrap your head around that one. Hebrews 4.14 tells us that Jesus is our high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness because he has, in every respect, been tempted as we are, yet did not sin. Just a few verses ago, at the end of chapter 3 in Matthew, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and we're told at that moment, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So now you see how Satan attempts to pit Jesus' humanity against his divinity. He says, Jesus, you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. You've got to be starving, man. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. you got the power. Use it. Yeah, it would have been easy for Jesus to call on his divine powers to transform stones into bread. But he had placed a temporary pause, he, an intentional pause on the legitimately good thing, namely food, for the purpose of hearing with laser precision what his mission was from his Father. The language here, it's, it's Trinitarian, uh, but the language here in Matthew, of course, it's just saturated in Torah. Not only did Moses himself fast 40 days and 40 nights on several occasions, uh, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Wilderness. <coughs> Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, though, in response to Satan. Uh, turn with me to, to Deuteronomy 8. This is such a cool passage. The whole commandment, Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Say that again, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of these promises. Jesus was Moses is Moses as Moses was meant to be. He was Israel. He is Israel as Israel was meant to be. And he's going to lead his people, all people, out of bondage and into a kingdom defined by God's abundant generosity and love. So just like Israel needed a pause in certain provisions in order to trust that man does not live by bread alone, Jesus also spent time fasting in order to make sure that the, that the promise and purpose of his heavenly father was in complete alignment with his own actions. His response to Satan's temptations show us that his priorities are in the right place. And now in the Sermon on the Mount, it looks like he's calling us to follow suit. As Christians, it is vital that we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we pause the temporary in order to focus on the eternal. We pause the temporary in order to focus on the eternal. So fasting should always have a purpose. Um, here are ten examples. I was reading through um, Donald Whitney's book on um, on uh, spiritual disciplines this week. If you're interested in learning more about spiritual disciplines, Whitney's book is great, uh, but uh, probably the best book on spiritual disciplines would be Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Uh, That's a book that everyone, every Christian should read. Um, But fasting should always have a purpose. And and here's basically 10 examples of throughout Scripture how fasting has been used. Uh, It's been used to sharpen focus of prayer. It's been used to seek God's guidance and sharpen discernment. To, uh, it's been excuse, uh, used to express grief or loss of sin. It's been used to, to, um, to seek deliverance or protection, to express repentance or um, kind of uh, to dedicate uh, a return to God. It's been used to humble oneself before God, to co- express concern for the work of God, to express concern for justice and, and to minister to the needs of others, uh, to ex- overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God, um, to express love and worship to God. In each one of these cases, though, the text describes a pause in the temporary in order to focus on the eternal. And here's, here's just my favorite passage on fasting, even though it's not about fasting. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, or uh, you grab one in the pews, but you at least got to look this one up. It's just, it's just, I just love this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
beginning in verse 16. Um, Paul had been talking about the light of the gospel being evident through us, even in um, the midst of temporary afflictions and persecutions. And he says to the church, he says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For for the things that are seen, they're transient, they're they're temporary, they're they're coming and going. But, But the things that are unseen, oh, church, those things... Those things are eternal. So this passage isn't directly about fasting, but I hope that you can see why it's pertinent. See, I want my life to be about eternal things. I want our church's life to be about eternal things. I want my life to be about the eternal weight of glory, not my temporary pleasures. I want my life um, to include the practice of fasting, which is not about showing God how serious I am. It's about a practice that aids me in focusing on my mission, aids us in focusing on our mission, um, um, which comes from Him, which is actually His mission, His method to His glory. It's about trusting that He is the one who is ushering us into that promised land which is his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's no denying that fasting will include a momentary discomfort. All spiritual disciplines, all discipline for that matter, uh, includes the momentary discomfort. All practices of of disciplines do to some degree, but but they exist in, in order to aid us in preparing for the eternal weight of glory. And now we circle back to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And the problem with that, the eternal weight of glory, was the farthest thing from the minds of some who practiced fasting during the time of Jesus. Some had chosen to use fasting, as they had uh, used giving and praying, in order to put on a show for others, to make their religious observance more about impressing other people rather than living out a relationship with God. Oh, aren't I something? I've fasted for three days, they might say. In our own day, it's just as prevalent. None for me, thanks. I'm fasting. Now, don't get me wrong. Like Jen said, sometimes we need to let others know when we're fasting. Don't sit in the living room reading your Bible while your spouse makes dinner in the kitchen and then say, "Uh, sorry, honey, I'm not hungry. Fasting is an excuse for lying. Most likely, I would say that it's good policy if you're married to let your spouse know if you intend to fast. But you don't need to make a show of it. I think that's Jesus' point. You might even decide to do it together. In fact, the most commonly noted fast in Scripture comes from Yom Kippur. When God commanded the Day of Atonement, when God commanded all of Israel to fast. In church tradition, there have been absolutely times when entire churches have fasted. Or groups of churches, Christians have fasted in order to hear from God during a particular season. 
during Lent each year, we'll invite the church to consider uh, giving up something, which is a form of, of fasting. So it's likely that we'll be aware of each other doing it from time to time. Regardless, the point is not that no one would ever learn that you've, you've fasted um, or that you're currently engaged in a fast. The, the point or that reward that Jesus mentioned, um, is that you are not seeking the approval or trying to impress other people. Rather, you're choosing to spend time to closer, more closely align yourself with his kingdom agenda. So actually, my, uh, my, my application would be the same thing that Jen said this week uh, during our prayer time, would be that you think and pray about a time that you might try fasting, this week, maybe one meal. Maybe it's just um, one particular type of meal or something like that. Uh, it's a temporary pause of something that's good in order to, hope, uh, to, to focus your time on the eternal and try to uh, offer some more focus to your prayer time. And with that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for guiding us, for disciplining us, um, with these practices, with these spiritual uh, disciplines of, of giving and praying and fasting, of reading Scripture. Father, I just ask that you would convict us. You would um, show us those spots in our calendar that need to be filled with you, that need to be filled with intentional moments with you. It might be easy for us to say, well, my entire moment. My entire calendar is God. I'm with God 24-7. Our question for that, our challenge might be, are you? Father, we just ask that you would help us be aligned with your kingdom agenda. And that when we do so, that when we take time for these disciplines, that the point of it would be to hear you, hear your voice, hear your mission for us, hear your purpose for us, hear your promises to us that we might hear loud and clear that you love us with everything you have because you are a loving, merciful, grace-filled, compassionate, generous God who always wants us to have our eyes on the feast of new creation, of kingdom living. It's in the name, most holy name of Jesus Christ that I pray all of these things. Amen.